My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. Today, I am joined by my buddy, Brandon Katz, who you could find over at Parrot Analytics. We may be joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, at any moment now. I'm not sure. Cade <laughs> has the benefit of youth which allows him to stay up super late and sleep <laughs> super late and not feel guilt for it brandon and i i now 30 b you are 30 right as well yeah i turned 31 on sunday so i'm a 31. week after you oh, a wow. week there after you go. and a year older wait this sunday coming up yeah okay good I, all right cool yeah so we don't we are not blessed with that gift anymore so you're just stuck with the two of us for today's episode at least for now first we are breaking down chapter 18 and i guess a bit of chapter 17 basically season three of the mandalorian so far and then on the back half we have my 25 minute interview with andy circus we're talking Andor, last jedi the batman the new lord of the rings film and his and his role in the new netflix film luther the fallen son which hit the streaming service on friday this man is everywhere i know he's crazy he's in the mcu planet of the apes i mean it's nuts him and um stellan skarsgård the ultimate franchise utility players yeah absolutely absolutely all right let's start out with the mando the mando the mandalorian chapter 18 the minds of mandalore in an effort to redeem himself for taking off his helmet mando and baby yoda after stopping by pelimoto for a, a tune-up and also an exposition dump because that's basically the only reason that they stopped there so they could just tell us what shit yep. uh they head to Mandalore so he could bathe in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Um, <laughs> <laughs> while exploring the mines, Mando, who still can't really wield the Darksaber, is taken captive by some kind of robot bug. So he sends Grogu to get help from Bo-Katan, who was right about Mandalore not being cursed. B, you and I have not really had a chance to speak on The Mandalorian Season 3 so far. Any big thoughts that you want to take a swing at first? <sighs> I mean, I, I get that they set this up back in Book of Boba Fett, his quote-unquote redemption for taking off his helmet. It's just so funny to me to see him talk with Bo-Katan in both of these episodes, someone he respects, someone he admires, someone he's willing to follow under you know the right circumstances, and someone who doesn't represent his specific creed of Mandalorianism. You'd think that thought would start to get into his head, like, oh, maybe there is more than one way? <laughs> and that religious zealotry is going to cut me off from the world instead of open me up, just like Grogu has. So it, it, it's just this as the thrust of early season three, his redemption and his his commitment to this very specific zealotist sect is not interesting to me at all. In fact, it's it's counterproductive to me. So I, I'm bored, man. Yeah, I'm bagging my head against what I've seen so far as well. And I think it's sort of an extension from Boba Fett and the decisions that they've made there. I think it was an egregious mistake to effectively nullify what was not only the dramatic crux of season two, but the dramatic crux of the series so far. That was the splitting yeah. up of Mando and Yoda. Now, as I said at the time on this show, knowing that that's the dramatic crux of the show, they weren't going to keep them apart for long. But you could have spent half a season easily on Mando figuring his own shit out, Yoda training, and like have whatever emotional turmoil that, that being apart might cause them play out on screen. It, it, it's just crazy. And then you have John Favreau and Dave Fil Filoni saying like, oh, actually, it's been two years. And, and we're learning that 
off screen and in the real world in an interview bite. You know how you you maximize the true. That's, or, that's what they said. Is that a misquote? That's really what, because like that feels for somebody, for a two guys who have so lovingly crafted such a complex world, for them to just be like, oh yeah, by the way, it's been two years. What? I mean, it's crazy. You you want that dramatic tension and that time to be really felt. And like you just said, you really want to maximize the uh, uh, narrative crux of, of their dynamic, which has been the main focal point of Mando for the first two seasons. Keep him out until the last scene in the penultimate episode of season three, which like, okay, maybe you won't sell as many toys because you don't have as much Baby Yoda. But that's a really, really cool way to be like, wow, th- this footprint of impact was really felt. His absence was felt and his return is a huge dynamic uh, 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 development within whatever the journey is. But they could have, you know, I mean, uh, maybe rendering Luke that much would cost him too much, but he could have been in the show, just not with Mando. You know, like there could have been. I think Luke should have never been in the show, but we we argued about that last last season. But yeah, I think that, you know, Mando's redemption, similar to Yoda's time with Luke, is just a massive narrative acceleration. Like these are events that you feel should play out over the course of multiple episodes, and yet they're getting it done in one or less. And I'm hoping. I'm hoping, I don't think that this is how it will play out, but I hope that because they've sort of zoomed through the duo's reunion and Mando's redemption, and those were maybe like the hurdles that they had to clear in order to tell the sort of reclaiming of Mandalore story that they want to tell. And from here on out, maybe they'll have a bit more of a narrative footing and serialize itself a bit more. Maybe I doubt it. It's, I mean, as we've seen in the first two episodes, it's still Mando needs to go to planet Y to pick up part X to accomplish mission Z so he can do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three. And I'm so tired of that format. I think it's so limiting and restrictive and I get it. That's, that's what this wants to be. We should stop arguing about what we want it to be and, and give it credit for what it is. I do understand that, that counter argument, but I, I think now that we're on episode, what, 18, we have seen this play out so many times that maybe they can reinvent the episodic format a little bit. Yeah, and I was thinking about that when I watched The Last of Us. Like, is does being aware of the format lessen the dramatic weight? Like, every time, we are now, we have now been trained in that show. Every time you're introduced to a new character, odds are they're dying before the credits roll that night. So... <laughs> Does that sort of uh, foresight take away from the what should be the excitement of the show? So in a similar way, because we're so familiar with the format of this show, which again is like sort of how TV has always been done. So, you know, that it, it's not as if it's doing something wrong, but, and I wonder if we're getting to this point in the MCU too, where maybe we've just, you'll know the term for it more than I have. We've just hit a ceiling. Where it's like, you know, three years ago, Disney execs thought, we need to chain these people along from a Disney to Marvel to, uh, sorry, from a Star Wars to Marvel to Star Wars to Marvel throughout the entire year. But what they've done is lessen the spectacle of it. So when Mando came out, we're like, fucking sick, live action Star Wars show. This is awesome. And people were hooked. I feel like the season three premiere snuck up on everybody. I didn't feel like there was as much of a cultural discussion around it. I think that now that it is less eventized, similar to Boba Fett, it makes me wonder, with the lack of the serialized core narrative, why am I watching this? Yeah. I mean, they, they've they already said 
Kevin Feige and others that they're going to pull back on volume. But just in general, if you're looking at both Star Wars and Marvel, you could cut back on half of the annual content line lineup and still keep that same level of audience retention, subscriber retention from a commercial standpoint. So I'm I'm hoping there is a general pullback and uh, that we're we're not oversaturating the market with what something we've grown so familiar with. Having said that, I'm super, super stoked for the Acolyte. That sounds like it's going to be something different, takes place outside of the Skywalker saga, going to follow a dark side user. That has all the ingredients I want from a fresh Star Wars. You've been saying that for literally years. Yeah. My heart's going to break if it fucking sucks a fat one. I think it's going to be good. Um, you know what? Between this episode of Mando and this episode of uh, The Last of Us that you just mentioned, I put this out in a tweet, Pedro Pascal characters have really needed their surrogate children to save his ass a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. and to be fair, seeing Yoda sort of take the reins was one of the things that I liked about this week. Uh, but we'll get to that a bit. And then, so that was my complaint on the narrative side. And then from a technical point of view, and a lot of folks have had this complaint. This episode is literally unwatchable at times because it is so dark. Now, yeah. I don't understand how this could happen in a series. Just a couple of years ago was getting hailed for the way it pioneered this incredible volume tech and was in cre- was creating these incredible sci-fi locales. And now they are going to a location that has existed in Star Wars lore for decades they have been planning to go to this planet for years and yet it is visually in indiscernible i couldn't see a goddamn thing i don't know how big the mythosaur is i don't know what the fight scenes looked like i couldn't see a goddamn thing and it's just like look man if you guys are spending this much money and this much time and are going to be bouncing us around from locale to locale and planet to planet and storyline to storyline each week, then show me. I couldn't see the mines. I couldn't see nothing. I just want to put Mythosaur up there with Unobtainium in the most unintentionally hilarious sci-fi junk jargon. Because <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Mythosaur! You don't get it, Brandon? It's mythical. And it's a dinosaur. So it's <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. And it, it's so funny. There's there's a great Bo Burnham bit where he goes on for like five straight minutes. I'm not exaggerating on how skinny Pringles cans are. And he just, some, he finishes the joke with, he's like, just make them wider. Like, it's so easy. And that's how I feel. Just make it lighter. It's so easy. Just make it lighter. How is nobody in the editing, baby? Like, I'm just going to turn up the brightness 2%. Boom, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so that's frustrating as hell. All right, let's keep going here. With the help of Bo Katan and to his credit, some legit big boy heroing, Grogu is able to rescue Mando, which allows for the pair of Mandalorians to have a discussion about their differing ideologies. As Mando begins to bathe in the living waters underneath the mines of Mandalore, he's quickly taken underwater. That's the real name. Yeah. That's really what it's called. <laughs> I know it's it's so it's like the minds of Moria from from Lord of the Rings. It's just it's just I don't know when you when you see it here, it's just silliness. Yeah, yeah. I know, not I not know. that when like you... listen, I'm a huge genre fan. Like obviously, I love other silly shit that other people kind of are like probably like, that's dumb. But I don't know, man. The writing here, it's just it's just not it's just not doing it. That makes me wonder how. Oscar Isaac must have felt when he sat down to read the Rise of Skywalker script. And he was like, you want me to say who returned how? 
And I always like that. I can't remember, but some eagle-eyed Star Wars fan said the word Palpatine is never used in the original trilogy a single time. I'm like, that's that's amazing. Oh my God, what a disaster. I was actually, to prepare for Circus, I went back and watched, have you seen those GQ things where they talk about their most iconic characters? Yeah. They're great series. Love it. And he was talking about how when he was mapping out Snoke, I don't think he meant this as a diss, but he said like, yeah, there wasn't really a, a plan for like where the character was going to go. So we kind of just made it up on the spot in uh, <laughs> The Last Jedi. Not like on the spot, but I'm saying right. like, there was really no direction like, hey, in episode seven, he'll do this and eight, he'll do this and not none of that shit. All right, <sighs> Damon Lindelof, you got this, our boy. <laughs> he's going to he's gonna pull it off. Uh, so as Mando begins to bathe in the living waters underneath the mines of Mandalore, he's quickly taken underwater by a mysterious creature, leading Bo-Katan to have to rescue him once again. That creature turns out to be the mythical Mythosaur, which has seemingly renewed Bo-Katan's faith in reuniting and rebuilding Mandalore. As I touched on, you know, I'm not just trying to sit here and bash show. So if they are going to use this episodic format similar to the way that the Mando shows were the best part of Boba. I thought that Bo-Katan was the best part of this one and to change yep. the sort of protagonistic perspective from Baby Yoda where you're like rolling with him for a bit and then you're with Bo-Katan and you're with her for a bit and I understand that Mando and Pedro are the draw but as you just said the format is becoming so familiarized and ingrained in our expectations of the show that for the sake of its survival for the sake of its freshness it has to change it up and i think that this was a way to do it you know similar to how nightwing and his fucking batons have a completely different fighting style than batman does same thing here right these are two of the same ilk but they have a completely different fighting style and that adds something exciting and new to the series so i do and i like this actress who i had never really heard of before this so i do hope that in an effort for variety Maybe they bring Boba back in somehow to work him into this sort of plan that they got going on. But if they shift character perspectives a bit more, I think that that will help alleviate some of the repetitiveness. I agree. And Bo-Katan is the clear standout of this episode. And the actress Katie Sackhoff has been great, you know, dating back to Battlestar Galactica, which which is a big genre nerdy favorite. So she's well-versed in the kind of space uh, genre. And I believe she voiced Bo-Katan in the animated series as well. Though someone's going to have to fact check me on that. They need to continue incorporating other perspectives if they're just going to continue relying on the the episodic format. I think as we've seen in the first two episodes, this is very much a Nexus series, to borrow a Marvel term, that yeah. builds, builds off into, you know, uh, Ahsoka, that Cobb Vanth is probably going to show up. It was going to give the uh, Cara Dune show. So I'm, I'm expecting a lot of familiar faces to pop back up. Just hearing you talk, though, what is the dramatic force driving this show currently? In season one, it was Mando has to protect Baby Yoda from Empire scientists who want him, okay? That's a very clear goal. Season two, it was Mando needs to get him back to his people and continue to fend off said Empire. What is that sort of logline of season three? Because I have no idea right now. And if it's... Mandalorian and Bo-Katan set off to reunite their home planet, which it seems like it's going to be. And yeah, John Favreau's Lord says, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> See, I, I care about that. I think that's cool. It just needs more than like... But what is the dramatic tension there? I, I think it's interesting to see him as a homecoming because that's basically his whole ingrained character is what 
his roots mean to him. I'm I'm glad that hopefully he will expand beyond just the very specific religious sect that he belongs to and learn a lesson in terms of acceptance and that culture doesn't have to just be one way to be shared. Uh, I think that's interesting. But again, we're we're two episodes in. That hasn't really come to the forefront in terms of a, a broader global scale within the logistics of doing that. And we've got six episodes left. It's It's hard for me to build that up to the same degree. And I think season one and two flowed into each other really, really nicely. Season three is, in a way, wipe the slate clean start from zero, which is hard. It's hard to pull off. I know. I, I... And so far, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm somebody who believes Jedi and lightsabers need to be in every project, because this is, I'm a guy who literally parades around saying Rogue One is the best Star Wars film of all time and or is a revelation. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, so I don't need, but what I need is conflict is story. There is no story without conflict. And I had expected this season to sort of build up to a Bo-Katan and Mando having like almost warring factions and recruiting their own soldiers to duke it out for who's going to be the new king of the planet or whatever the fuck the title is. But now that they seemingly resolved their problems through what I think was a somewhat enlightening conversation about what they associate being a Mandalorian with, whereas Mando very clearly associates it with a set of beliefs. Bo-Katan understands it in more physical terms and understands it as a people and a place. So as do, God is a people. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I did enjoy that aspect of the show. But now that the- Conflict now, is the interesting part, but that they haven't done a great job through the whole show. I mean, Moff Gideon- could have been really cool and a lot more of a terrifying villain and really just petered out for the most part. And I don't think they've done a good job of establishing overarching conflict in terms of an oppositional force, not necessarily within their own character dynamics, which they've done well with Din and his compadre of people. But they didn't roll out Moff Gideon until the penultimate in season one. And I think season one was the best season, maybe. No, I like season two more than season one. Okay. But- you know, I I think we can both agree that Moff Gideon ended up being a big fat nothing. I just, I guess my point is if the counterbalance and the counterpoint and the conflict point is no longer Bo-Katan, then who is it going to be? Is Moff Gideon going to come back? Is that the assumption? Because he's know. on the cast list for season three. He's going to ride a mythosaur into battle. Well, because he's not dead, right? Did they uh, Did they kill his ass? No, they I didn't. I can't even remember, honestly. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think they did. I, th- I think maybe they arrested it. Wasn't he going to kill him? And he's like, wait, no, this is the new civilized era. Yeah, some... And I'm just... Well, probably should have killed him. Yeah, some high horse <laughs> bullshit. So, yeah, I mean, I do hope that, you know, not to say that I hope they introduce a big bad... But I do need some sort of dramatic anchor here because right now with go ahead. No, it's just it's it's clear from the rescue too that like Bo Katan's getting back the dark saber, right? That, yeah, that's absolutely. an obvious and, not, and I don't even think it's gonna be like much of a beef. He'll just but, be but like, she has to take it. She cause she can only win it in battle, the dark saber, which is I think what's also prevented them from just kind of handing it over. Because I'm pretty sure it didn't in season two. He offered it to her back to her. And she's like, I can only win it in battle because that's the way it goes. Yeah, but I guess, but doesn't finding it on the ground because its owner was too much of a bitch to keep hold of it, doesn't that count as like winning <laughs> I, in this, a battle? This seems like Harry Potter rules where it's like Snape didn't, wasn't wasn't really awarded the wand because it was a setup. Uh, good old loopholes. Yeah, exactly. Good old, good old sci-fi loopholes. All right, so as this episode, it's sort of, Mic drop, cut to black moment is the reveal of the mythosaur. What is that? Well, via Nerdist, 
Well, B, don't. No, just, just, just like I'm, I'm like a really pretty significant Star Wars fan. I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not like pouring over every detail ever, but I've never heard of the Mythosaurus. So, like, I think I'm like probably 75% more than the average, but still 25% less the diest of hards. So, if I'm not even familiar with like whatever this reveal is, and it's just another beast in a long line of beasts. (laughs) Well, we've heard about it in the show. Your boy Queel said, You are a Mandalorian. Your ancestors rode the great mythosaur. Surely you can ride this young bull. Like, it's the sigil on his arm. So it's been brought up, but I don't think the layman is supposed to understand the dramatic impact of what that means. So, and Bo-Katan reads a sort of uh, plaque. Right. That sort of explains its lore. How convenient! convenient. Like the whole planet was destroyed, but I'm glad our natural museum of history is still standing. <laughs> uh, all right. Via Nerdist, ancient tales say that the first Mandalorians tamed massive mythosaurs and rode upon their backs. Queel referenced this legend in The Mandalorian's first season. Then on the book of Boba Fett, the armorer, man. You're just right. There's just so many fucking words and shows and terms and characters. I have read three sentences and there's about 10 nouns in there. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to keep track of. And that's also the downside of having a Nexus show that feeds off into others. So on the Book of Boba Fett, the armorer told Din Djarin about the prophecy of the Darksabers. Whoever wields it can lead all of Mandalore, she said. That wasn't the only prophecy she shared with him, though. She spoke of another sign that pretends when the promised hero will unite their people. The songs of eons past foretold of the mythosaur rising up to herald a new age of Mandalore, she said. But according to the armor, sadly, the mythosaur only exists in legend. I think that that explains sort of the final shot of this week being on Bo-Katan. Even though you literally can't see her face, I feel like her facial expression is meant to be understood as if her mind is kind of blown, right? Her yeah. cap has been peeled back. Her whole shtick about Mandalore's dead, but you know what I mean? She was like, oh, wait a minute. Hold up. Wait a minute. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> and now I think that seeing Din Djarin wielding the Darksaber and coming in contact with this beast and all that shit, I think that that's beginning to bridge a gap between the two. But to that point, I had to fucking read an article to understand that. And you never want that. Yeah, it's it's too much homework to a degree. And again, okay, the, I'm really glad that they've mentioned it before. And obviously it just didn't burrow into my head. But isn't the dramatic climax of the show then dulled? Because I have no idea what that big fish thing is. Right, and, exactly. And I, I, I'm not only that, but, brothers. And, and not just that, but you can't even fucking see it. Yeah, it's like... I, I don't exactly know what we're supposed to do with that in the moment. And now that we have a week to do our homework and I'm sure it'll be uh, exposition to death in the next episode. I don't know. That's not necessarily <laughs> what I look for in my highest anticipated blockbuster shows. I just pictured being literally exposition to death. Like <laughs> you're just chained to a wall and someone's just like reading war and peace in your ear until you lose your mind. <laughs> It's like a clockwork orange, but in the real world. (laughs) All right. So look, I think that that's all for this week. I'm going to continue to tune in, but I think that that's the problem, right? I'm watching because it's a Star Wars show and not because I give a shit. And that is in in direct opposition of how I felt about season one and two, whereas 
Season one had one of the few moments in my life where that Star Wars magic hit me right in the fucking chest. So to see how far the show is going down the other path is disappointing. I mean, hopefully it turns it around. I, I do believe that when we were covering season two weekly, we thought it started slow and, and picked up. I'm hoping that's the case here. But as I said on Twitter too, not that it's necessarily fair, but it is what it is. You know, post Andor world, it's hard for me to get super psyched about Mando. Yeah, yeah, true. Andor season two, though, probably beginning filming this year. All right, y'all, let's take a quick break, and then we will come back with my interview with Andy Circus. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, Eric. I'm honored, man. I'm excited for this. (laughs) Folks, folks, today I am joined by Andy Serkis, an actor you know from every film ever made. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) An actor you know from projects such as Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, The Batman, and his new film, Luther the Fallen Sun, which hits Netflix on March 10th. Like I said, it is an honor to be joined by you today, sir. Oh, thanks, man. Lovely to see you. So I want to start with your character in Fallen Sun. My first note at the top was this character felt like he was straight out of the film Seven. Your dude was scary, man, in like a way that when a human could feel like this omnipresent threat, that is what I think your character uh, achieved, a very boogeyman-esque thing about him. So what I'm curious about is how do you ground yourself in a villain that doesn't have any redeeming qualities at all? Because we've heard the cliche of, you know, I love a villain that believes that they're the hero of their own story. This is not that guy. So how do you go about grounding yourself in that? Or is, it, or is it instead about not grounding yourself and embracing sort of the alienness of it? Great question. And um, I think I think the thing about David Roby is that he almost doesn't exist as a human. And that is the tragedy. There is a tragedy to the character. So without making any excuses for what he does, because he does despicable things, he's he is a psychopath and he is a serial killer. But... He is a very lonely, isolated human being who has no other way of connecting with humanity other than through observing voyeuristically and kind of almost like a vampire watching them through their own devices at home because they've given themselves up to this wonderful thing called the Internet. He is able to spy on them and watch the most mundane, boring things that they do from day to day from, you know, picking their teeth to cutting their toenails to, you know, doing their washing to whatever it is. And he sucks elements of their lives because he has no life of his own. So this, the David Roby character is is basically that much David Roby and the rest reflecting society and society's willingness to buy into the internet. It's all in all its awfulness and brilliance and and so the monster is actually what's out there that is that we've that we've given up responsibility to and 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 washed our hands and gone okay look i have a technology that um can be hacked i can lose my identity to that i can be you know made through deep fake to look like someone else 
I can, you know, and so on and so on. It goes oh, Jesus. on. I know These the are deep all, fakes are just you know, terrifying. So, that, you know, and, and David, David, David can only come into existence by shaming other people and um, absorbing them, but also then then manipulating them. And so, so like I say, he's the tip of the iceberg, which is this big monster being something that we have all around us and that we're happy to 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 get to, to hand over to. So you bring up tech. Something I could not think about is you are an actor, the actor who's perhaps synonymous with the use of tech in film. So I'm wondering if that was a calculation on the creative team's part to have the tech actor become the tech killer. And how do you feel? How do you, Andy, a director, an actor, feel about the use in tech in film? Because there are some franchises out there, not to name names, that have gotten a lot of heat in the last few years for their CGI. So I'm curious how you feel as since your character was sort of weaponizing the dangers of tech, how do you feel about it in your job? It's a really interesting one and it's reached a really interesting moment um, in, in, in its, in its kind of evolution really, I suppose, because, you know, now if, if I think about it, you know, my body has been scanned, my face has been scanned thousands of times. So in terms of my own, identity you know uh, my 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 movements my physicality can be you know in terms of deep fake it's it's a no-brainer if anybody wanted to put me in a compromising situation they can um you don't you need necessarily to have the amount of tech that we've used to create the characters that i've played to do that anymore but at a certain point you would have um but it's like it's like every you know, it's but but the, but there are issues now about about you know owning your own digital identity, for instance. Um, there's there's lots of questions about about the future of digital resurrection. And someone mm-hmm. I was talking to the other day, someone at a con um, about about uh, how would you feel about someone playing you in thirty years time? Uh, you know, once you're gone, and I, and I'm like, well, look, here's the deal. I, I've bought into this. Um, I, you know, if someone were to play me rather like, you know, sampling music, uh, I, if, as long as, as long as it was used in a creative way uh, and, and that, for instance, my peeps down the line, whether it's the family or the estate or whatever it is kind of, uh, you know, uh, agree to it, that it's a good idea, then so be it. I won't have any control over it. But it's a thought, you know, um, and, 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 and cause we look at, we look at Peter Cushing, we look at, you right. know, Harry Fisher, you know, all, all the actors who have been who have been brought back using this technology. It's a it's a very very interesting time. Plus, also the other huge debate is in a world where we are, you know, we are, you know, rightly so. Uh, the acting profession is all, uh, and the the filmmaking profession, storytelling professions, uh, are all about equal representation. It's just like, and anybody being able to, you know, I mean, or people being able to play what they what they you know in terms of identity politics and so on and so forth here's a technology that allows you to be anything and, you know regardless of the color of your skin the height yeah. you are the sex you are what, how you identify yourself here's a technology that does allow you to, to 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 step into anyone's shoes or anyone or any creature's feet i'm amazed by your open-mindedness open-mindedness to what such an existential threat to creativity you know what i mean like it's you know but that is a perspective that i had not thought of it sort of unlocks the door for all people to you know yeah create 
Yeah, please go ahead. But, also, but then the other side of that, you know, is an algorithm that can write a script for you. So that, you yeah. know, the, the formulaic perfect Hollywood script, you know, can be written like that by the tap of a button. Or if I imagine something conceptually, uh, you know, that it can pop up on a computer. If I want a, you know, a chipmunk brushing its tooth, teeth, you know, then then I can tap in that the amount of imagery of chipmunks and toothbrushes, and it doesn't take much to put them together. Anyway, we don't we don't rest. <laughs> Back to David, a bit uh, yes. bit more of an obtuse topic. Um, <laughs> how, what's the pro? Like, how did you bring something? The serial killer is a very well established villainous arc. How did you try to bring something new to that? Um. Because in in a sense, again, it's it, he abjures responsibility for he, he you know he do, doing these things by saying what well, it's what people want, it's what people want to see. It's not you know I'm not doing this for my own good. I don't get any pleasure out of it myself. It's actually about demand, supply and demand. People want to see this. People want to see snuff movies. People want to see people you know injuring other people on screen uh, uh, as live entertainment that's that's if if then if that's what they want i'm i'm willing to provide it it's in his head he's putting it he, he's bouncing it back that's what i'm saying he reflects right moral the moral dimension he reflects back to the society that's out there and what it's willing to 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 to, to take you know and then uh you know you and idris have a a pretty intense fight scene that i imagine is more his forte than yours uh talk to me about those days on set i'm sorry andy i didn't mean to offend you with that one i honestly don't know how big he is but he looks like he's got to be at least six two i mean that's a early dude what pops in your head when you think of those days on set yeah but i'm a 13th dan kung fu expert i'm not actually at all i'm just i don't even know 13 you could have sold me on that one it wouldn't surprise me <laughs> no um uh i yeah I, 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 idris is a formidable opponent and you know he is a genuinely a skillful martial artist and you know he's a kickboxer mm. so so we had to find a fighting skill i had a great the, the stunt team were amazing and uh I loved working with them. I did quite a lot of training with them to find a way that that would reflect David Roby's style of fighting, which is, again, it's not filled with any, it's just almost a kind of passionless sort of um, and and minimal, you know, using, using you know, use the use of a knife. We used a, a, a knife with, with a blade which can be spun around and, and so on, but, but, but causing maximum damage with minimum effort and, and actually just avoiding, just more about avoiding techniques as opposed to, you know, trying to meet him full on because that would never work. He's too strong. He's, 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 it is more like being a, a picador in a, in a, in a, in a, or matador in a bullfight, you know, standing yeah. back, dodging and then, and then to just, use his yeah. own sort of speed and weight against them. Correct. Um, all right, I got to move on to Star Wars now. You are, you've been involved in two of my favorite Star Wars projects of all time. I'm somebody who, I didn't get to see the original ones until I was a bit too old. So they, I, I could see the sort of technological gap. And I was a kid when the prequels came out, which weren't necessarily kid friendly. So I didn't understand the Star Wars magic until I was a grown man. Rogue One came first. The Last Jedi came next, but Andor. Andy, let me tell you. And I think I speak for a lot of Star Wars fans out there. Kino Loy is one of the most, I think, revelatory creations in the history of the franchise. So honestly, thank you for that. I think he's sort of the perfect distillation of what makes this story so compelling. 
But with all that said, The Last Jedi and Andor are two of the more divisive Star Wars projects out there. What do you think explains that? I, I I I doubt it's because you're in them, but it just so happens that you are. So I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, the the thing is, I, I suppose it's what sort of Star Wars world you like. Do you buy it more into the grounded kind of Rogue One universe, which is which it which has a sort of the logic is always completely believable because it feels more human and it's grounded in, in Earth. It's more Earthbound in a sense. Um, and and the characters are, and they're all they're the, the 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 kind of le- the nuance in the in the the nuance in the characters, des- you know, the designs of all of the characters, um, and and the sort of that it just feels like the the kind of the grey, interesting kind of psychologically complex area of Star Wars storytelling. So people who like Rogue One and like Andor, that's that you know seem to be at odds with the people who are more in love with the space opera, who love the fantasy elements, who you know who who really kind of contr- who want to transcend through this world and and you know still the, it, what's so brilliant about it is that they both they both operate they both they both work entirely and both are you know viable and and real and touch people and move people in huge ways but but one is 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 much much more extreme and theatrical and and of 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 a sci-fi and fantasy feel and 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 the other is is you know feels as real as anything so so but they can exist because you know, it's a big galaxy, so yeah. they can they can both exist. You know, he he. You know, what I loved most about that show, and it speaks to the genius of the writing, is that the cut to blacks were largely like out of context moments. Pino Loy saying "never more than 12 is one of the most sort of rallying cry moments that I could remember in Star Wars. But it's just it's literally just a random sentence and a random fact stated between two characters. And that to me is so powerful. So I hope to see you pop up in season two. I doubt you could speak on it. So I'm not even going to waste our time. Um, (laughs) Trust me. I've, I've, I've been doing this a long time as I'm sure you have. Uh, Let's move on to the Batman. Batman is my character. It's what got me into this world. I, I have, I have loved him since I was a kid. What makes the film that you're in, the Batman so great is that despite how many iterations there are, it did something new with that character. How are you hoping the sequel does the same to not only bring something new to the character, but to bring something new to its own series of films? I mean, the, 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 what, what we have is a very special ingredient here, which is Matt Reeves. He is a phenomenal storyteller, a brilliant filmmaker, a, you know, a visionary film director, but also a great writer. And, you know, he, again, wanted to ground the, 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 the you know, Gotham. So it felt and it had its own internal kind of reality and internal logic. It feels very, very, very real. Um and and what he wanted for Alfred was, and the relationship between Alfred and, and a younger Bruce was was that sense of well, he wanted him to feel like he could handle himself, that he was a soul, that you know. And so with the, the backstory for 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 Alfred, from my point of view, is that he was in the SAS. He was a you know he's he's fought in campaigns. He's you know he's and and suffered injuries as a result. He, he's, he's then worked with the MI5. He's then gone into top level security. He's worked maybe for like royal families or whatever, and then has ended up 
you know, being employed by by Wayne Enterprises. So, and and crucially, he he is not able to. He's he's he was not there for Bruce at, at his moment of need, and 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 when his parents were assassinated. So so, and he's unable to be. He should be able to be a father figure, but he is emotionally incapable of being a father figure. All he can do is to, again, sort of at a distance and a painful distance, try and be the caretaker and the carer and someone who has that the outward kind of like out, outwardly the sort of the, the the parental role, but but actually that can never fully be filled. And and that is a very painful relationship. And so so I think I think, you know. I don't know what's going to happen and I have no idea. Matt is, you know, dear, dear friend of mine. And, and he's writing as we speak this next iteration. Um, I, I, ju I just know whatever he does will will have that emotional heft. I think that that will continue. And at the, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I can't really guess what's going to happen, but I do. I do know that uh, I trust him with Alfred's life. You know, and uh, the Alfred casting, I find, is one of the more underrated dynamics of Batman because he's not only a father figure, he's only the counterbalance Batman has in the entire world without him to keep him anchored to Earth. And then if you look in the long line of actors who played the role, you know, do you feel a sense of legacy pride in that? You've done multiple legacy defining roles, but does it feel special to be like, I'm one of the few who played this character? Yeah, and you do feel. I mean, you absolutely. You, you feel. You sort of feel a responsibility, but you also know that you are um, in the in the same way that you you know say, you know, in these franchises, you're sort of you become. And I've used the word before to to explain it, and I think it's the right word. It's like you become the custodian of the of the role for a certain period of time, and you cherish it, and you love it, and you give you know you give everything to it. it you know, but it's it is much like like doing a Shakespeare play, where or any play, you know, where you take the role of say Hamlet or whatever it is, uh, Benedict or King Lear, and you are you you Im totally immerse yourself in that world of the play, knowing that next year someone else is going right. to play King Lear and Hamlet and Benedict. You know, you just, so yeah. so whilst it's in your you know, it's whilst you've got your hands on it, you you do what you can to make it live and 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 within the context of the world that we're in at this particular moment in time, and and do and do your best with it, and then knowing that 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 you will be passing the baton on, and that's there's something and really enjoyable about that because yeah. I love seeing. I mean, like it's like the next Apes movie. I can't wait to see what 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 goes on with the next Apes movie. You know, I, 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 I I'm excited to see that. Um. Now, while your character in Andor, his fate is up in the air, the character in The Batman is not. So I am going to press here a bit. I did see reports today that filming of the sequel is supposed to start in November. Can you speak to that at all? I know that it's supposed to have a 2025 kind of delivery date. That's all I know. That's that's the, uh, I mean, I would tell you, but that's all Good I know. Good man. And then how about the Penguin show that just started to film this month? Any involvement in that at all? No, and I know nothing about that either. No, sir. Okay, well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Lord of the Rings. I, what's uh, that? What, what was that? What's what's it called? Lord of the what? It, 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 it starred this little ugly bald <laughs> fella that just wouldn't go away. Uh, no, listen. Um, I don't know if I'm the first one to ask you about this, but a few weeks ago, reports came out that 
uh, Warner and New Line are trying to make new films. You are one of the hearts of these stories. You are a defining character. How do you feel about this news? Look, I mean, Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens uh, are sort of a second family that that I have, have you know become part of and and have gone on to make so many films with and uh, let me tell you they are they are the be- they are the best and and most incredible people to work with and i think that there are so many other there there are so many other potential middle earth projects which which could come about i I'm, i and if they're doing them then I would, of course, you know, jump at the chance to 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 have that relationship rekindled and, and work with them on it because, you know, after after I finished doing Lord of the Rings, I was I was lucky enough to to do um, do uh, an audio book recording of The Hobbit, mm. and then what followed on from that was an audio book recording of The Lord of the Rings, and then after that, and I've just finished an audio book recording of The Silmarillion, and. So, so Middle Earth has never left me in a way, um, and 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 I know for a fact that there are so many strands of those stories that 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 can can easily become their own journeys, you know. So, yeah. so, so, so yeah, I think I think it'll be I think it'll be incredible. So, as we close out here, I just want to ask some broad ones, wit, because you've played truly some iconic characters, and I want your answers not what the world might think about you what performance do you hope not think hope stands the test of time of yours um i uh look i look it goes without saying that Gollum was a huge game changer character for me because it opened up not only the world of middle earth and and uh, the, the all of that but but a, a whole new technology and a whole way of approaching creating characters, and so th- that was a that was a big sliding doors moment of my life where where suddenly it threw into focus lots of different interests of mine. Which I, I was a visual artist before I became an actor, and so it sort of I, you know a lot of my friends on Lord of the Rings were also visual became visual effects artists and animators, and that whole world then became a, opened up to me, and and I never expected that for a minute. Um, and and from that came you know the experience of creating a company, the Imaginarium, and uh, mm. all, all all sorts of all sorts of things. So 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 that role, apart from it being a very complex and demanding physically, vocally, and you know, it, it, I I think there's probably a good chance that I might well only be remembered for that role because he's because people you know literally on a day to day basis ask me to do. Gollum impressions or voices. Or, or, yeah. voices or you know for their answer phones and so on so i know that i'm pretty certain that that's going to be the one that 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 you know that i'll be remembered for i can't believe i'm talking about this. um but uh, but um but equally i have a very 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 uh, strong feeling for the character of caesar because that playing a character kind of all the way through from birth through to through to, through to death over the course of three movies, not only that, a chimpanzee who grows and changes yeah. physically, and as as a recipient of a of a, an, an Alzheimer's drug, has an enhanced intelligence, and then becomes more human like, and the, you know, just 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 the evolution of that character, and and the the sort of the joy and the exploration of that over three films, 
and then and then ending up where he does. I, I, you know, it was and working with the teams uh, and 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 fellow people. And for me as a fan, those films were the ones where I was like, oh, mocap, whoa, You're like you know, I could see the furrow of your brow, man. That's just. <laughs> Yeah. Right. All right. And then real quick here, as I wrap up, final one, when I say the most memorable character performance you've ever performed, what pops in most ca- most memorable character moment you've ever performed, what pops in your head? I guess it would it, it would have to be the scene where Gollum and Smeagol talk to each other, you know, because I, I'll never forget the moment that at the Ziegfeld Theatre in, in New York in 2002, I think it was. Of 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 sitting there and watching Gollum really where he comes into his own in the two towers and that scene particularly I I the joyful moment of seeing an entire audience suddenly kind of just go like this <laughs> move forward and, and sit and kind of like it was incredible it really did make the hair stand up on the back of my neck actually just just because the, the, they couldn't quite understand what they were watching and that was that was quite exciting. Andy, I've got to wrap here. I've spoken to a lot of men and women in your line of work, but I was rarely as excited as I've been to speak to you today because your work, just the sheer breadth of it, especially for a dude my age, I'm 30. I've grown up with you in everything I've ever loved. So thank you for that. This chat was a blast. And I also read online that you are a fan of the Gunners. So if so, you just got a few more months left. (laughs) Hold on tight. Thank you, Andy. All right, thank you to Andy Circus for joining me. That was one of my favorite interviews of my career so far. It's always good when I could talk to them for at least 15, 20 minutes because then I can really get the hooks. Um, <laughs> uh, make sure to follow Brandon at great underscore Catsby and all the great work he's doing at Parrot Analytics. Make sure to follow me at Eric Italiano and the podcast at Postcred Pod. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you haven't. Even though we slept through the show today, follow Cade at Cade <laughs> underscore Onder and all the work he's doing at comicbook.com. And we will talk to you all next week for the finale, the season one finale of The Last of Us and the latest episode of The Mandalorian. All right, y'all. Peace. Yeah.